Want to learn how to see and share Jesus from all the scripture? Learn with us at the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. I'm Nate Aiken, joined again this week by my brother John and also Josh Redberg. We're working our way through the book of Hebrews, learning how Jesus is better than all things and also how to interpret the Old Testament in a Christ centered way. Uh, on Saturday, February 24th, Christ Center and Clear will be hosting a one day conference on this book, the book of Hebrews, just south of Raleigh, uh, North Carolina. John, Josh, and I will be speaking at the conference. We'd love for you to join us. It'll be at Josh's church uh, there in Fuqua Arena. You can learn more and register for the conference at our website, uh, ChristCenteredAndClear.com. Uh, and hope we, we hope that you'll make time and uh, to be to be a part of that. Last week, we examined uh, the promise of God's rest at the beginning of Hebrews 4. Today, we're going to conclude that chapter looking at verses 14 through 16. Uh, I'm going to read those verses, and then we'll sort of jump in and, and start to talk about these verses. But here's what it says. Here's what the writer writes. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Uh, John verse 14 begins with the word therefore. So obviously it's building upon uh, what we have talked about before. So what is this therefore signaling to us uh, as the readers? Well, obviously he's, so he's been looking back at the wilderness and Exodus uh, wandering of God's people and how they rebelled against God. And, and so they didn't enter into rest. And now he's calling us to something better that there's a rest for us. If we'll, um, if we'll receive the good news that's, that's been given to us. And so he's called us then to, he commanded us in verse 11 to strive to enter that rest. And then there's another warning about judgment. And so now I think he's he's connecting this the the high priestly ministry of Jesus and the intercession and the forerunner that you know he gives us access to God to ask for help when we when we might falter on this journey um, and so I think that's the connection. John, can you give us just because because it's it's so presenting in this in this passage background on who is the high priest? Um. Well, here it's Jesus, but well, in, in, the in, old, the in the Old Testament, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So from from the 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 the, the family line of Aaron, um, you had the high priest who was able one time a year to go into the holy of holies, where the presence of God dwelt in the midst of His people. Uh, had to make sacrifice for himself in order to go in, then had to make sacrifice for the people. And obviously, the author of Hebrews is drawing on that connection to talk about Jesus, and then he'll he'll obviously unfold this in much more detail later on. But Jesus goes into the actual throne room of God, not not some copy here on earth in the mm-hmm. Holy of Holies, but into the actual throne room of God through the the and mm. the whole thing again is this this imagery of of reentry into paradise, reentry into Eden. When Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, there were cherubim placed outside the garden with flaming swords to keep them out. When the the Holy of Holies is made, first of all, you have the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which has two cherubim that are covering their face and their wings pointed in. And then on the veil that separated people from the Holy of Holies, you had cherubim woven into it. And so it's this idea of 
this is the way back to Eden, but you can't just come willy nilly into the presence of God because you're sinners and he's holy and and you'll you'll drop dead. And so the high priest would go would make sacrifice for himself, then for the people and on the day of atonement would go in. And so now he's linking Jesus's high priestly ministry to that, how Jesus now gives us direct and anytime access to God uh, because of his death, resurrection, ascension, uh, and, and then heading to the right hand of God. Josh, what does it mean that Jesus has passed through the heavens? I think John somewhat explained this as far as entering the holy of holies. Uh, but but it's it's this aspect of being a, a forerunner for us that he has gone where we want to go, but have no ability to go apart from him. And so, um, you know, heaven is not necessarily a, a geographical term in the sense of if we look far enough up in the sky, we'll <laughs> see the heavens there. Though it's often presented as being above the earth. Um, in the in the way we think, it's sort of certainly above us, beyond us. But heaven is being the place of God. This is where God is. This is where God's rule is seen in a way without sin and sickness and death. This is where we want to be. Uh, this is where we want to find ourselves forever and ever. <laughs> um, and so it's the heavens that we long to be. It's the heavens that Jesus leads us through. And so I think I think they're connecting it to the promises before the promise of rest. This is God's presence. This is the place of peace and prosperity. This is a place of, of celebration. This is where our souls were meant to be. Um, and so Jesus is the one who leads us there. Mm. John, when it talks about um, our confession, holding fast to our confession, which it says more than once in, in Hebrews, what, what's it talking about? I think just that, that our confession of Jesus as Lord, right? I mean, that that we that we confess him as Lord and that we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. I think, so I think it's just, it's talking about your, your testimony of faith, your, you know, your confession of Jesus as your savior, um, that you, you, there, there is again, like you're, you said multiple times in Hebrews we're we are called that that's not a one-time thing. It's not, it's not, I asked Jesus into my heart when I was six years old at vacation Bible school. And, and now I can live however I want to live the rest of my life. Um, no, their their perseverance is something that's taught throughout the scriptures and holding on, you know, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. I mean, that that's I think what's going on. It's mentioned at least three times in Hebrews, so three, four, and ten. Um Josh, is anything you would add there, but also what would be the kind of obviously the obstacles, the hindrances, the things that would stand in the way of us holding fast to our confession? Yeah, I think it's primarily Jesus is Lord. It's certainly what we've seen in the first three chapters, too, which flesh that out a little bit more. I'm thinking of chapter 1, verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature. He sustains all things by his powerful word. He has made purification for sins. He is now sit, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's superior to angels. He's superior to Moses. All of these can be um, under this larger sense, Jesus is Lord, but this is fleshing out more and more what it means, Jesus is Lord. And so I think that confession is saying, um, all these things I've been saying, like, hold fast to this. Mm. What would keep us from? I mean, the most obvious answer is sin. I think in the book of Hebrews, there seems to be external pressure that is being placed upon these Christians to leave Christianity, to no longer follow Jesus, and return to um, return to Jewish worship. Uh, that seems to be the, the, the pressure that they're facing. This seems to be how, 
what motivates the author to say like let's see how Jesus is better in this how a return to this is actually it's a, it's it's leaving the goal and and going back towards the starting line and so there seems to be this external pressure just to return to Judaism it's probably pressure of persecution in some form whether that's a physical persecution or even just in being removed from the the community that they've grown up in maybe removed from their uh, family inheritance, things like this, all of these external pressures that would make them say, hey, I can still worship God, but I don't have to do it through Jesus or, or through Jesus alone. Mm. We have, we've been having a number of uh, former Hindus that have become part of our church recently, and it's remarkable to hear their stories. But some of this pressure, I understand better now a little bit hearing their stories. For them to follow mm. Jesus like I just had a man tell me just yesterday that he became a Christian. His parents are still Hindu. And they said, will you please marry a Hindu girl? After you get married, you can take her to church. It doesn't matter. But it would bring shame upon us if you married a Christian girl. And so he had to say to them, no, I won't. Like, I, I'm a Christian. And so so like that type of pressure is real. And they they faced it. And so they're wrestling like, is it worth it to keep following Jesus? And so, or should I go back to the, the worship in the temple with sort of the human high priest that seems safer, that seemed more acceptable to probably to my family and community. Um, so real serious pressure to, to leave, um, Christ for something else. Mm. John, is it helpful to then transition to this question? What does it mean that Jesus was tempted? Um, and, and even how might people misunderstand that or even undervalue, um, his temptation? Well, I think it. one of the things that we've got to be clear about and coming out of Advent is that Jesus became a real human being. And so... Despite um, what people might say about how important or unimportant the, the incarnation yeah, is. <laughs> I mean, listen, listen, I, I read a book years ago, and I'd never really thought about this before, but, it, but, but just talking about like Jesus it becoming, the Son of God becoming fully human, he had to learn Aramaic. He had to learn how to how to use a you know I don't know, use a fork or what like he had to learn how to feed himself. He had to learn how to um, interact with people. He had to learn the the, the trade of, of being a carpenter, or whatever. Like like he he literally went through and he he got tired. He got hungry. He he had to sleep. Like he it was a fully human existence, which means living a, as a full human existence in a fallen world that there there was temptation to sin. Now we can get into the peccability, impeccability arguments all you want, but he, he lived a real human existence and there was real temptation uh, to sin. And then specifically, you know, the, the three temptations that he faces from Satan that, that uh, as first John talks about boils down all of our temptation, right? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Uh, he, so he dealt with all of that. Um, and yet he, he never gave in to sin unlike us. And so the, the temptation narrative is is huge because it's not just teaching us that Jesus is our example for how to fight off sin, although it does do that in terms of application. It's it's showing you no, know, he's the champion. He's the one who mm-hmm. who with withstood this, unlike Adam, unlike Israel in the wilderness, unlike us, he withstood it. So he's the savior. He withstands it at the cross, right? The same the same thing. If you're the son of God, turn this stone into bread. If you're the son of God, come down off this cross. He doesn't do it. Um, and so because of that, now he, he, he's lived the fully, it, it also goes back to what the Cappadocian said, that which is unassumed is unhealed. So if he's not fully human, then he could not fully redeem humans. 
Um, and so, so this is a loaded, uh, loaded yeah. phrase. Yeah. Even, even, yeah. Despite what people like Rob Bell might say, uh, it's just utterly ridiculous. If, if the incarnation is not true, then penal substitution cannot happen and all the things that come after that. So and utterly it's also, ridiculous. And it's, so it's theologically weighted. It's also applicationally, we talk about being Christ-centered and clear. It, it, it means it's an, it's a comfort to us that our savior yeah. experienced what we experienced. Yeah. Yeah. Just think about the fact that Jesus learns his messianic mission from reading the scriptures. So Jesus reads Isaiah 53 and in, and realizes in his humanity, this is where this is, I'm, this is my future. I mean, that's real temptation to say, I'd like to do something else. When he reads mm. all the passages of the Messiah's suffering and death, you know, he'll be marred beyond compression. Uh, beyond beyond recognition, it will please his father to bruise him. He's reading this as a as a child, and he's learning like this is this is the messianic mission because he's taken on full humanity. And I mean, that's great temptation to say like I, I don't I want to avoid that. I don't want yeah. to experience that. So yeah. he he understands and sympathizes with our with our weaknesses. Yeah, I mean that 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 phrase is loaded for application for people who are hurting, suffering. Obviously, the incarnation of the penal substitution are the only thing on the market that can deal with suffering. Um, right. All these other things, I mean, I heard a, heard a guy, John Lennox, years ago, he's the uncle of uh, Kristen Getty. He's a math PhD from Oxford, teaches at Oxford, brilliant. Uh, but he, he talks about sharing this with a, with a lady who, who was a, had a, a Jewish background. She was trying to talk to him about the Holocaust, and he just was saying, I, I don't want to uh, minimize the suffering of your uh, people because it's, it's horrific. But he said... Darwin's survival of the fittest and the atheist pitiless universe does not address this issue. Instead, the one who became like us, who, who bore scars in our place, is the only thing that can begin to deal with the question of the theodicy question. It's a fascinating thing that he talks about. But mm. these verses alone are ver- verses that obviously help us in our own suffering and then help us as those who get a chance to shepherd. Um, any final thoughts on this chapter? We can sort of wrap up uh, or just in those, those three verses in particular we were looking at. I just love, I love Keller has the line and as a, as a dad who my kids are coming out of this age, but it just is a remarkable picture of, uh, an, an encouragement to pray, um, that he says the only, the only, uh, person who would dare to wake up a King at 3 AM for a glass of water is his child. And that, mm-hmm. and he says, that's the kind of access that we have. And so I think, yeah, when you're in need, go to the throne of grace and ask for help and he'll give it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thrones are normally pictures of power. They're created to give the appearance of power, and yet this one's called the throne of grace. That's what most Amen. distinguishes it, which is remarkable. Well, thank you, brothers. Good, good stuff. We'll continue next week with Chapter 5. We do appreciate you listening to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. Thank you for listening to the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions, topics, or texts that you'd like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at podcast at ChristCenteredAndClear.com. And please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources that will help you see and share Jesus from all of Scripture.